Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A funny taste in music with Andrew Bird. Way up. Um... I'll tell you what, doing an intro for a podcast feels fake, like I'm, you know, introducing my own TV programme. Hello, uh, I'm in an office with a dog, this feels fake, so I'll try and, you know, I'll try and be as honest as I can about it. Um, how are you? Hope you're alright. Uh, if you're about to do something on the weekend, like clean the car or something, you thought, a podcast, I'll listen to a podcast, thanks for choosing this, I'll try and get you through it, some shit that you've got to do that you don't want to be doing. I'm just uh, regrouted my brother's bathroom, so I have ploughed through some podcasts on that. So I hope this helps. Uh, it's a great one today. Today is the first person on it who's not a comedian. He is a comedy promoter. Now, so that that's in the comedy industry. That counts. He's also funny, but he also used to be a music promoter. And I remember staying, when you do his gigs in Leeds and Headingley, um, the Oak and the hi-fi two great gigs if you're in that area you should go to when it when you do them sometimes when you do the oak um he very nicely lets you stay at his house he offers a full service great gig you stay at his house you go out to a cafe the next day and uh the cafe owner i can't remember where we went she was mental um uh she was well funny so we, we we he does the full service and he's been a music promoter for years and years i remember when i stayed at his house he had a, he had a house you'd hope a music promoter and comedy promoter would have massive bookshelf loads of cds and a box with wires and some speakers in the living room that's what you want and he um and he, he just just casually kept dropping in bands that he'd You'd, you'd mention a band, you'd go, oh yeah, I remember I remember doing their tour. There was about 100 people at their gig. He'd be like, what? So I thought, I remember starting this podcast thinking, I've got to get him on. Uh, he mentions, I want to make sure I remember this, he mentions a band called The Stairs. He said they're one of them bands that you ask any other big band who's a great band, and they'd say The Stairs. So if there's a band you want to get into, I include myself in this, then The Stairs. Let's all give them a listen. Apparently they're amazing. Um, so please donate to the Patreon page because I have a mortgage. Um, and, oh, and speaking of new musicians, John Allen, who is does a little, little bit of inst instrumental music at the start of this, 
podcast he very nicely gave me for free and gave me the music he's let me use it he's got a new single out called hold on john allen hold on and it's kind of you can tell it's written during lockdown uh, the lyrics are very um relevant brilliant lyrics great tune give that a listen my mate john allen give him a listen will you um donate to the patreon page so i can buy some chocolate weetos and uh thanks for listening hope you're enjoying them this is an absolute belter some proper inside sort of music knowledge that you didn't know goes into who gets booked for bands how you how you choose bands to play everything that goes into it support bands that you see sometimes are paying not only they're not getting paid they're actually paying to do the gig i didn't know that so this is great. So hope you enjoy it. Soak the adverts up and let's crack on. Here he is, Toby Jones. A funny taste in music. The interview next. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I thought of you, because I remember when I stayed at your house, uh, you would start talking about bands that you'd, uh, you promoted. And I was like, mm. Jesus Christ. Mm. So, uh, for, I should let people know for those who don't who are trying because you've got the same problem as me. You got the same name as uh, someone famous. Yeah, which uh, which is hilarious. Whenever the other Toby Jones, yeah, uh, does anything quite major. Uh, yeah, some well, of those. Do you get? Do you get? Like, so I've got a problem. I mean, we we've got a slight problem with you uh, in terms of one of the venues that we're doing a tour date with you in October in Leeds at the Wardrobe. They put yeah. on the singer Andrew Bird as well. Oh fuck! Wow, not, this this not at the first same time, time but yeah. so, so so that's one thing. But do you know the Tom Rosenthal one? So no. there's a singer called Tom Rosenthal, and there's the comedian Tom Rosenthal. And that. we put on the comedian Tom Rosenthal a couple of years ago for an Edinburgh preview, and, I, and I've done some of his sort of proper tour dates as well. Um, 
And we had people that were looking to go and see the musician Tom Rosenthal sort of turn up. <laughs> yeah. And and it, you just go, well, uh, yeah, I guess we do have a sort of duty of care now, do we? To sort of, do I have to put comedian after your name in brackets or something? Is this genuinely, well, is this, I mean, well, to remind us of what you are and who you are, but also to make sure yeah. that there's no confusion where people are going, well, he's all right, but his singing wasn't much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting my hand up on the Zoom gig here because, you know, I'm Paul Daniels, so I think I'm... Uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, tell you Paul, I'll tell you Paul Daniels' story. I had Paul Daniels booked in for a gig in Leeds on the day he died, March the 17th. It's, it's one of those dates I'll never be able to forget. I was supposed to be doing a gig on the exact date with him on the exact date that the other Paul Daniels sadly passed away which is something that sort of slightly haunts me if i'm honest with you he didn't do the yeah. he, he, i assume he didn't do the gig and then pass away no but yeah i was very loath <laughs> to return any kind of did deposit he, or well, did he see it I was mean, a very tenor. Late cancellation isn't it <laughs> it's just it's it for a tenor and that finished him <laughs> off <laughs> it was it's possibly the greatest trick of all time as well when he comes back in three years time yeah. can you imagine just playing this sort of there's a story isn't there? i can't remember who, who, who had the story about somebody that um i think it was jerry shadowitz talked about I think it's Shadow. It's talked about what he thought was the greatest trick. And he said it was something along the lines of where a bloke in his, like, 70s went to a tree <laughs> and cut a hole, like, cut chainsawed the tree. Yeah. Like, so that... Uh, and inside it was something that he'd written when he was 15, the magician. It was like this... The long... No joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Away. I'm sure it's Shadowitz was talking about it in one of his things. If it's not Shadowitz, somebody else. A famous story about a magician where, yeah, playing the long, this really long trick of 55 years. So he'd done it as a kid when it was a sapling. He'd buried a bit of, like, his yeah. signature or a bit of it. Remember the tree? And, and, like, his 70th birthday or something ridiculous. I'm sure it was Shadowitz. A, a mental story. That is a level above a wedding ring in a wallet, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, have, you ever worked, have you ever done a gig with Shadowitz? No, never met him. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a prickly pair. <laughs> I, I did it to say that, but I got with him really well, and... One of the things I learned to do with him, I think, was ask him about his magic. So he's already got a deck of cards. You know, like he's one of the greatest close-up magicians in the world. Right. And, um, and, and I sat next to him at the bar at the Oak as he's done, like, one-on-one -on -one for about half an hour tricks that just blow your mind. And it was a great leveler. It was a great sort of, yeah. you know, he, it calmed him down totally. And he was, he was a joy that night. It's not the but, same oh thing, God. but I had that with, uh, with Adam Bloom. I, uh, I was doing my first 10 minutes at the banana, so nervous, and he's going, pick a card. I'm like, what the fuck, get out of my fucking face with these cards. <laughs> but, um, uh, but that was quite funny just then, to be fair, that me and you are going on. Yours is quite quite a big one. I'll often hear in the news, Toby Jones starring in something, and I think, oh, you've took a career change. Mine's a bit more, uh, it's not as well known, but it's getting on my nerves a bit. That, um, it, it does uh, cause confusion as an industry. And I've, not, I've never mentioned it on this before. Mm, mm. Um, Andrew Bird, I've never mentioned before. Andrew Bird is a he's a well known singer in America. He's done Letterman. He's massive in America. Does he come um, up higher the Google ranking than your own name? Yeah, if oh, you yeah, Google yeah. it, does so that annoy you? Should. You? Well, duh, he's I don't done know. about nine albums or something. I think he deserves it. But um, I've True. had that where I've mentioned. I can't believe I'm not mentioning it on this podcast yet. That. Uh, because it has been, it's been annoying. Just the other week, I did a gig the other week, and they had his photo up for me. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, and it's going to happen uh, more. It's going to happen more. I promise you. Yeah, and he, uh, he, so I was, uh, you know, I, I did, um, I did the Red Rose years and years ago, and people said we've come to see the musician. I didn't know what, anything about it. Then I did. Um, uh, then he was playing Shepherd's Bush Empire 
in, and he was had a, like a half page spread in the metro in london obviously i've done loads of gigs in london and been listed right. in the metro and they use my photo andrew yeah. bird shepherd's bush empire there you go and then a big photo of me and all my wife's friends were texting me thinking i was just really humble and never mentioned that i'm a malt <laughs> I'm a multi-instrumentalist, violinist, experimental musician. And then I did, on my tour, I did Dublin on a tour with the, one of the shittest names for a tour, purposely. It was called Ha Ha Time. And the tour there's venue... Been, mate, hold on, hold on, hold on. There has been a lot, lot worse. I know there's been worse, but... There has been a so, lot worse. But the tour's called Ha Ha Time. It's in the Laughter Lounge. Yeah, the clues Dublin. are there, aren't they? The Laughter Lounge, and it's a and and I had some woman email me shitty with me that I wasn't him. It's like, what's the hell? How is it my fault? And surely the somewhere between Ha Ha Time and the Laughter Lounge, your fucking alarm bell should have rang. But also, there's point. a lovely bit where she'll have gone, Well, you're not the person I thought you were, and you go, Exactly, I'm not. And yeah. that'll just confuse me even more. It happens. It really does happen. And the worst thing that you'll start to find now is that is the bigger that you get with your tours is when um, when promoters like myself use people like C Tickets and Ticketmaster and Ticketweb to sell the tickets. On their portal, automatically will come up the photograph of the other one. Yeah. And then it'll start to link to they have the automatic because it's all done automatically now with the ticketing agencies. So they have these RSS feeds of your name goes Andrew Bird is playing. And it will automatically then send it to everybody that likes Andrew Bird, the musician. So it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So I didn't, I didn't know. Um, I mean, it's ridiculous. That the first time I saw it, I was in HMV, browsing through the Beatles. Even though I've got all the Beatles, just having a look. And then I get you got near all the there. Beatles. I mean, what you mean? You got their music? You haven't got yeah. all the Beatles? <laughs> yeah, I've got there. I've it's got Paul. Paul. I've got Paul in the spare room. I um, I've got. I'm looking through and I suddenly see in the rack in HMV all the listings of the albums, my name. I went, for fuck, fuck. Gonna, did, 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 did the blood, seriously, did you sort of have a bit of a chill? I was suddenly it? thought I lived a parallel life and I'd been a musician without knowing. And my wife said, she's got NME. She goes, do you know you're touring next month? Uh, <laughs> I like, fuck. I can only play three and a half songs on a guitar. So when the other Toby Jones did uh, Dad's Army, the movie, the yeah. much, much criticised Dad's Army movie, I got... Uh, you took it personally, clearly. Well, well. <laughs> no, you did it. I almost ended up on BBC Breakfast Time as him. Oh, so, so like the BB, the like BBC taxi driver. Yeah, he ta the, yeah. Or oh, the guy was it the guy the that came to fix a photocopy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very, very close to that. Um, so I, I got a phone call about half past seven on a Sunday evening from a researcher at the BBC for Radio 5 saying, hi, uh, just want to uh, sort of secure an interview tomorrow morning for, for the radio. I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. Because I, I do, you know, as a, as a sort of comedy promoter, you occasionally get local radio. And I, I have yeah, done yeah. this on Radio 5. I've been, a guest, I was a guest on Ian Lee's show a couple of times and just bits and pieces that, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to find somebody in supposedly interesting to talk about things. Um, and they, they got to the point where, I said to my wife in bed, I said, if they send a taxi tomorrow morning to drive me to Salford, which is what they're talking about, to go on BBC Breakfast Time to talk about the film, I'm doing it just to teach them a lesson to make sure that their research is a little bit a bit oh. sharper than just going through a Rolodex going, oh, Toby Jones, give him a call. Even though my prostitutions were, it, I'm not him, you've got the wrong person. I'm not the actor Toby Jones. Yeah. And, and, and I have, I've now, to myself, I will do, if, if, they send a, if they send a car, I'll go and do it as him and, oh. and see what happens. Oh, I really... See how, I mean, can, can you imagine how far through the interview you get going, you, you don't sound like Dobby. I'd well, really yeah. respect that if you did it. Imagine how far you could push that. You're in a... 
in a hotel in LA going, wow, <laughs> this has got out of hand. Do you remember but Friends it, Reunited? Yeah. The, like the, the pre-Facebook way yeah, of yeah. communicating people. I put up on that that, um, that I, you know, uh, so this is what, 50, 20 years ago, is it? Friends Reunited, 15 years ago? 20 it's, probably, yeah. So when he did... Uh, when the other Toby Jones did Dobby, in, uh, he did the voice of Dobby in the Harry Potter movies. When he did the first one, somebody got in touch with me saying, it's great to see how your career's gone. <laughs> yeah. D- delighted for you. Delighted yeah. for you. Which took me back to the weird thing where the actor Toby Jones was for a year, he was the artist in residence at the West Yorkshire Playhouse in Leeds. Uh, and I wasn't anything to do with anything. I was working in music but nothing to do with comedy at all and a friend of my one of my mum's best friends bought a ticket to the play thinking it was going to be me <laughs> having known me since i was three and knowing that i had nothing whatsoever to do with acting she you, just presumed that yeah, it must be same me. same thing you've just kept under your hat you yeah, know your, yeah. your mum's never mentioned it she doesn't yeah. like to brag yeah, you know exactly Crazy, so, but, we, but we were talking quite casually then. Andrew Bird, mine's probably the m- least known one, but it's probably the, the most annoying because I have to deal with it probably more often than you two. Well, I don't know. But then Toby Jones and then the producer suddenly pipes up with, yeah. uh, can we all... Uh, can we, can we all acknowledge Paul Daniels is probably the most annoying. The <laughs> well, time I emailed to say about this, I email uh, to say, you know, and I copy in who's on it and Paul, the producer, podcast tomorrow, here's the link for Zoom. And quite often you'll get a separate email going, Paul Daniels, are you fucking taking the piss? I'm like, no, it's his name. I look forward to the next time I'll do a search on my uh, web, you know, um, email search thing yeah for paul daniels because it'll come up with paul who's producing this and it will also come up with paul daniels the magician yeah and it does feel like every so often this will now be like yeah com- communicating from beyond the grave <laughs> Just well, i've had the odd that. fan letter by the way um do you really yeah they're really scary because they're usually in spidery scratchy um <laughs> he's got a certain sort of fan base oh, <laughs> so have you now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i did do some gigs with his son a long long time ago with martin uh, Martin Daniels, uh, who who would sort of what was Paul Daniels' son, or is technically I guess still his son, um, and uh, he he wanted to become a sort of alternative, you know, stand up on on the alt circuit on our circuit about twenty, just as I'd started promoting it about twenty years ago, and and he only lives sort of not far from yeah an hour's drive from me, and it was one of those things where he was willing to come and just do open spots, mm-hmm. and he was a lovely bloke but a fucking terrible comedian. Because it was yeah. one of those where I don't think he'd realised that just taking the material that he'd done on cruise ships and as part of his sort of, uh, you know, that club world set just yeah. didn't, doesn't translate whatsoever. No. Um, so, yeah. So, so, Paul, this Paul, do you have a son called Martin and, and, a, and a lovely wife called Debbie? Happily not, no. <laughs> <laughs> My wife Louise gets called Debbie a lot and, uh, you know. Oh, 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 you just have to do annoying. the fake laugh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's got to be annoying. So, so uh so, yeah, so Toby, you're the first non-comedian, technically, right? And there's a reason... <laughs> yes, job description, you- <laughs> passport, <laughs> yeah. not comedian. That, I'll accept yeah. that. <laughs> you, uh, but, you, but you're a comedy promoter, so you're in the comedy world, so yep. that counts. That's that's why. You're a comedy okay. promoter in Leeds. Yes. Hi-Fi, well-known. Library Oak, probably the, your most well-known gigs. Low, everyone's done the library in the Oak. Like you just mentioned a while ago, Stuart Lee, Russell Howard, Manford, everyone has done a library in Oak in Headingley, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Headingley. Yeah. Well, the Oak still goes to the library we don't do anymore. We have not done the library for about, 
I think five or six years. They yeah, just, yeah. Um, but but the oaks. I mean, the oak is great. Um, yeah, and it's it's like I think it's been going like twenty years now, and it's just. I mean, it's it's ten meters square basically. It's the I think it's the perfect size gig. I've always thought um, we get a hundred in there, uh, and it sells out pretty much every time now. Yeah, um, always has done. Um, loads of regulars. You get loads of regulars. Yeah, I'd say at least half the audience are pretty much every month. Which which is great because makes for a better gig. It always does. Yeah, it does. And I'm I'm not a performer. I've never, in I mean you know I sort of did ten years of music before twenty years of comedy, and at no point I've ever wanted to be a performer. So I think I'm quite rare in that sense that I'm a promoter of comedy that hasn't come through from being a a wannabe act or an open spot or a, an MC that runs a gig. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm purely about. Um, I wanted to watch stand up in Leeds, and there was nothing. So uh i i how did it start so for comedy um actually at the library a uh, really weirdly a guy called adrian poynton yeah, yeah i um, remember adrian yeah I do you remember adrian? around the same kind of time okay well, he, he and he went a comedian on to, who then went on to write white van man there you sitcom, go. and then That's went it. to la that's right, and I think he's still working out as a sort of hired hand in LA, isn't he? He's he still- had, yeah, he had a line that still I think about, probably I thought about last month and still gets on my nerves a bit. It was a good line, it was funny. He was he had a, about music, he used to do a bit of material about Travis and how shit their lyrics are. So it was uh, turn, 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 and sing, 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 sing. And he made that point, that's just repeating a word. But I would make the point that their lyrics, uh, they've got in their lyrics, why does it always rain on me? Seeing a tunnel at the end of all these lights. Come on, Adrian, that's poetry. Come on. Yeah, that's, yes, I think I think you'd have to hand that to Travis, wouldn't you? 1-0 yeah. to Travis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fairly <laughs> open goal, in fact, to be honest I with you. I think they've won in the long game. But, um, I think so, so, yeah. so, Adrian, he's not been, he hasn't so been going about as long as me. Yeah, well, he was at Leeds University. So this oh, gig all right. was, um, he started the gig. He started the gig at the, well, actually, no, I'll, I'll lie. I'll go back. Uh, before that, um, I'd say... Probably the mid, probably ninety seven, ninety eight. Sean Alby, who's a promoter and booker, um, ran the library. I think it was called Having a Giraffe, and I think he put Peter Kay on. and And I remember speaking to Phil Jupiter, and Jupiter's recognised the room as well, and he said he'd been there. So I think I think it, back in the mid nineties, there'd been a gig there oh, that okay. Sean had run, and then Adrian had started one that I started going to as a punter it was every other week um and i went with uh two very good friends of mine who are still very good friends of mine and one of them is a producer at the bbc up here a guy called darren williams uh, and another guy is a guy who works in sort of uh pr called stephen chalk uh, two very good friends and we used to just go it was our sort of wednesday night every couple of weeks meet up nice. have a couple of do pints. you remember the first one you went to who was on uh who was on i think the first one or i saw one i remember silky was on silky opened yeah. uh, and i think it was either Either nice Toby Foster gig. or Lucy, yeah, or either. Well, at the time, I think he was living still in yeah. Liverpool. Um, Toby Foster, Brilliant. Toby Foster, and uh, Lucy Porter. I think Lucy was on. Wow. I remember seeing Justin Morehouse doing an open spot where he was a props comedian. Fuck, which is weird. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, he did a trick with a rucksack. He came on with a rucksack, and I, 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 yeah, I think. Um, and there's a guy, you know, you remember acts that have no longer have anything to do with comedy. Do you remember a guy yeah. called Anton? A Scouse comedian who was incredible. I don't, I don't, I've never seen him, but I've seen his names on listings when I started. He was phenomenal. So, yeah. yeah, he was one of those. Really? He, he remember, yeah, I remember him doing a brilliant joke about he had um, a cornflakes box, 
and he and it was just like uh and the joke was something along the lines of uh i'm supposed to be getting my five a day nothing about this and he held up the box and dropped through the box sort of a, a couple of apples and a banana and an orange and it was just it just i know it sounds stupid he was yeah. brilliant he could have been absolutely massive and i believe he he ended up becoming a priest and moving to france or something but he was Class. he was but he was on the bill anyway so so we used to go and then one week we turned up and and uh and it was the week charlie chuck was supposed to be headlining do you remember, remember charlie him. chuck from, yeah. yeah from reeves and warmer so he was supposed to be headlining he turned up for the gig uh and adrian i think was doing his finals and had sort of pulled the gig but i think charlie didn't dave care who's charlie chuck didn't know and, and he turned up so me and my mates were like well we'll just take over the gig and the venue were like all right great so we ran the gig that night with about, I mean, I think we literally went, how much cash have we got? And we can pay Dave to, to run the gig. As, because we were like, we were there as punters and there was about another 50 or 60 people had turned up to watch a comedy club that just didn't wasn't going to happen. So we just basically said, well, just do it. And we'll sit on the door and take the money on the door. And then, because Darren was at the BBC, and still is at the BBC, he had the sort of internal telephone numbers of everybody. So I... Because we'd seen Toby Foster a couple of weeks previously, I phoned him up. I managed to get his telephone number through the internal BBC thing through Darren, and 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 said, "Listen, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I used to be a music promoter and work in music, and and you know, I really want to do this." And he spent about I must be two or three hours on the phone just telling me exactly how to do it. I owe everything to him. I mean, I absolutely uh, will always right. defend him and within reason. But you know, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, yeah. he was genuinely he, he he couldn't have been more helpful. Uh, he no, really he's couldn't. a good man, Toby. Fox. Yeah, so he's always helpful. He's yeah, a, he's and always I, been very helpful with me. And I feel a little bit of that's kind of gone. I think a lot of there's a bit too much competition now between gigs and a little bit too there's much. Bit, there's bits around around the northeast. I find that around there they help each other out and they'll yep. they'll organize and now near you as well they'll you'll organize um doubles and stuff yeah, between yeah, yeah. promoters and stuff I, mean, I find it's a bit nicer around that you get northwest it gets a bit more of the wild west doesn't it it uh, always did it always did i want to go back i mean we'll talk about this in a bit i'm sure but um, you know 30 years ago when i was booking music venues in leeds you know being a sort of near neighbor of manchester at the time of uh, uh, yeah, Stone yeah. Roses and Happy Mondays and Northside and all that sort of Manchester thing was, oh, was fuck, awful. Right. It, was, right. it was terrible because I was just like, that then. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so that's what I was going to say. You're known more amongst comedians as a comedy promoter. That's all I've most, been for the last twenty odd years. But I mean, most people it. know you were you were a music promoter. So when when did you start uh, I, I, in music production? How would you get into it? Uh, I how did I get into it? Okay, so I wanted to be a film director. Uh, uh, when I was a kid, I worked in a part-time cinema. You know, in a, in a, I worked part-time in a full-time cinema and a proper little flea pit, and, um, which was great. A really good education. I was 16, 17. I learned uh, at that point, I was very lucky that the guy that was the manager was an incredible guy. He'd been, so this is 1986. He would be, he'd been a cinema manager in the Second World War. <laughs> and on a Saturday night, in the mid-80s, he used to wear a, a dinner jacket, proper full bib and tucks, the full lot, to welcome people to this flea yeah, pit cinema. Cinema used to be cinema used to be like the theatre, didn't it? It mm. used to be a proper night out. Totally, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And later as well, I think that was the other thing that was interesting, was that you know, they would do shows in the cinema that would finish at 11 o'clock at night. 
and now you can't get anything. Well, you, you know, your multiplexes, but your independents are much earlier. But so yeah. he, so he used to. He was a great sort of inspiration in many ways. A guy called David Williams, uh, not the comedian David Williams, um, and he taught me how he taught me how to do deals because he used to book for three cinemas. So at the age of sixteen, I'm doing or seventeen. I was doing A levels. And I'm working three nights a week in a part-time cinema. But because I was sort of interested in, I wanted to be a film director, I wanted to work in that world. And I didn't know how the hell to get in. Living in, in Leeds, it was like it's all in London or, or Hollywood. So there's no way I'm going to get in. So I got a job in a part-time cinema. Uh, and, it, and he taught me how to do deals. He taught me uh, uh, deals that I still use to this day. You know, splits, structural splits, all this sort of stuff. I learned at, at 17 in cinema. Um, so I, I kind of did that and then I finished my levels and I started doing an English degree and, uh, in Leeds and I got a, a job at somewhere called the Coliseum in Leeds, which was a big, um, it's now the O2 Academy. So oh, it, had been, right. it had been built in the late 19th century as a, as a circus, um, uh, an amazing, beautiful, beautiful building. Um, and I worked there as just a sort of sweeping the floors, making tea, just to sort of get in. But they were a TV company and a film company. Um, and then they were right. supposed to get... So 1989, uh, they were supposed to get a big contract with Yorkshire Television for a... Uh, there was a show called Stay Lucky that had Dennis Waterman and Jan Francis in it that was set on a barge. And they had were literally about assigned to have six months of the barge in the studio so that all the interior shots of the barge would be filmed. And, and the barge was too long to fit into Yorkshire Telly Studios or, or it was cheaper to put it into our studio, whatever. At the last minute, yeah. I mean, literally like the Friday before the Monday, that all fell apart. And they were like, we need to put some music on. We need to do something with this space. We've got nothing booked in for six months. If we don't, we'll go bankrupt. Um, and there's a woman called Miranda McMullen who uh, used to uh, run a, manage a couple of bands. Uh, and she came, she was the first booking officer there. Uh, and she left, I think, the early, uh, I'm not exact, I think about sort of early 1990 to go and become yeah. the manager of the Jazz Cafe in London. Oh, um, yeah. I had no interest in working in music, despite, uh, 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 you know, every school's got a school band, a band at school. That, uh, yeah, yeah, the school band at my school ended up becoming a band called Space Hog, who sold a million copies of their debut album in America. Uh, <laughs> a bit weird. Um, yeah. So I was kind of working with them a bit, uh, just as a mate and just helping out and, and, you know, putting posters up for gigs. And because I ran the, um, I read the enemy every week in the office at, at the Coliseum. Yeah. They were like, "Do you want to become a music booker?" <laughs> they saw you. How lazy is that? They uh, saw yeah, you yeah. sat in the office reading yeah. the enemy. And they yeah, thought, and, and, he's, he's the guy. Fucking yeah. Brian Wil <laughs> Tony Wilson over there. Oh mate, I'll tell Old you. I'll tell you, I'll tell, you enemy. I'll tell you a brilliant story about Tony Wilson if you want in a minute. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so I, so I used to get the NME and the Melody Maker every Wednesday and read them whilst, yeah. you know, trying to work in a film studio. And they were Just like, think oh. if you were reading porn, what they'd have got you to do. <laughs> Anna, can you imagine? Oh, God. It's a, it's a big move in your lunch break to whip out <laughs> Razzle. But anyway, so sorry. Yeah, you read. So they thought, he's the guy. It's mayonnaise yeah. on it. I promise you it's mayonnaise. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. So they literally turned to me and said, do you want to try booking, taking over from Miranda? Because, you know, I was a cheap date. I think Miranda was on a proper wage and I was just yeah. not. You've got a magazine. <clears throat> I've got a magazine, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. And um, and very, very quickly, we, we got in um, things like, oh, gosh, Jesus and the Mary Chain. 
Uh, loads what? of bands. So what, sorry, of bands. would this be... 19, so this is 1990. 1990. 1990. Okay. Yeah, yeah, 19 to 91. Um, and uh, fun enough, we did, we did Bunny Whaler. So we did, um, who died last week. Um, yes, you told me, that's it. you emailed me saying, can you remind me and mention Bunny Whaler, please? Yeah, yeah. So I've you've got it in. You're a so pro. here we go. So uh, in between, so, so what usually happens at a gig... So Bunny Whaler died last week and Bunny Whaler was on one of the most early gigs you put on. Yeah, well, at the Coliseum, yeah. It was right. um, a co-pro with a guy called John Keenan. Um, yeah. And we... we, we booked and promoted it and um so it, how it usually works the, the day let me give you an idea of a day of a, of a gig musical gig right oh yeah uh, is it, it's, it's, it's changed now because i was because of technology but it yeah. used to be you'd, you'd go in about eight o'clock in the morning uh and the first thing would happen would be your lighting would come off the truck so you, you if you've got a big arctic truck 40 foot arctic lighting yeah. would come off first that would go up and then uh, upon the hoists would go up into the roof and then the yeah. pa comes in which is about sort of one o'clock half past one three o'clock uh, the the back line, so the guitars, the amps, and everything of the techs come in, and the bands would usually come in at about four. Yeah. Um, so Bunny Whaler, I remember really clearly, came in a little bit earlier, and we and we had a game of football. So I played football with Bunny Whaler. Now, uh. Bob Marley, who used to play football. There's a rumour going he died of cancer because he got he broke his foot in a football yeah, match. I saw yeah. that in a documentary. Yeah. Yeah. So I got pissed off that as the only. Uh, clearly not very talented i was a good cricket player i was a mm -hmm. terrible football player and i was basically him and his band and his crew were phenomenal at sort of keepy uppies and we and we're just light-heartedly taking the piss out of me and i just got a bit like fuck this and i put a bad a proper two-foot sliding tackle on bunny whaler now and I, like one of those that you get readied straight away for in, yeah. a, in, in any level of professional football and he, he went up in the air and we had a proper it was a smooth concrete floor and I can, to this day, 30 years later, remember the slap of Bunny Whaler's face hitting the concrete. And everybody's standing around, everybody's just going, whoa, what? Yeah, that, that's what? how Bob Marley died. Yeah, and it was suddenly <laughs> like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? Yeah. And straight away, Bunny Whaler gets up, pissing himself off, and he just went, not felt a thing. Didn't feel a thing. I was like, oh, you, you legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a minute there, that's the gig gone. Yeah, well, that's, it's, so that's Bunny tackle. Whaler gone. You know, 30 years earlier than he ended yeah. up surviving. Yeah. So oh, that's wow. my Bunny Whaler story. Two-foot challenge on Bunny Whaler. What a <laughs> bastard. And that was just because I got pissed off because I was crap. And I was like, I just don't know. I saw the red mist. I did a Boris. Yeah. Flattened him. Yeah. Hey, well, I'd have said more Roy Keane Harland. You've gone in. Malicious. I've no idea what you've just said. Are they a shipping Shouted company? in his ear. It's a great reference. Trust me. Cracking okay. reference. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So they're your first gigs. And then, so, uh, how regular was that? How regular were you booking acts? I think at well, one point... Six months, you had to fill six months, did you? Yeah, yeah. And it was, I mean, as with most forms of promoting, really, you don't get much... You, you work on a minimum of two months advance. You know, yeah. you can't really put a gig on, sell tickets, advertise it, get an audience within a couple of months. So it took us a few months. But the good thing is we had... We managed to get enough gigs booked in sort of within the next six months to keep the banks happy. So the banks were like, okay, it's obvious you've got a contingency plan. And, you yeah. know, w whether people like to admit it or not, venues make a fortune from the bar. So we were, yeah. you know, we kind of put on a couple of Irish bands, like things like the Sword Doctors and stuff. <laughs> I oh, like mate. the thought of that. I no, like it was that, that was business plan. We need, we're right, we're making we need the drinking bar. bands. Yeah. We need to get some Irish bands in. Yeah, wow, this, genuinely. This is good insider music promoting knowledge. People don't think of that, right? We need to make money on the bar. Let's get some... 
Who, what bands drink a lot? What, who yeah. attracts Saw Doctors big fans. drinkers? There you go. Okay. Off the rate. I mean, so we, we, there was at least one or two occasions. I remember once we did a, it wasn't even a gig as such. It was, um, so it was the year that Leeds United won the first division to go up to the premierships. Is that 90, 90 or 91? Whatever that is. Um, they did it so that, and this is before sort of Sky, really. They did it where a certain number of venues in Leeds were showing the match. On, on like big screens and yeah. we had one of them and I remember they drank the bar dry before kickoff and we had to go and get a van and go a, a beer wholesaler on a Saturday afternoon and just buy any beer we could to get it yeah. back in to flog it because it was mental I mean off the radar some of the some of the gigs the bar take somebody was telling me the other day there's a friend of mine I still have a lot of friends who work in the music industry and a friend of mine is a very very big music promoter was telling me that um he he does uh, slam dunk festivals in, in Leeds. I think there's three sites he does. And they do... So there's six shows, six big outdoor shows, right? Uh, each venue does two shows uh, over three venues. So it's six. They take a million quid on the bar. Slam dunk, as in basketball? No, as in, as in a, a sort of alt music festival. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> of course, in, in interviews with growing people with two names or, or other people yeah. with names, yeah, slam dunk, sorry. Yeah, right. he does these big music festivals, like right. um, sort of that whole sort of skate punk thing. Is, oh, is, I see, okay. And yeah, he was yeah. telling me, yeah, they took, I think they took over a million quid on the bar alone. On the bar. Which, when you're working out on a festival, it's a 70% gross profit. A £700,000 oh, yeah. profit. So oh, I didn't know that was taken into account. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the difference. You can run so, the festival or the gig for free or not make any money or even lose money. But if your bar take is huge. Yeah. So we were very lucky back in, go back to 1990, we were very lucky that we managed to get enough gigs in um, to keep the bank happy because we're going, well, each gig, we, we, you know, we sell X amount of money on the bar and that makes this amount of profit. So we're like, okay, fine, you can keep going. So we, we ran for a couple of years there. Uh, as the Coliseum and that ended up going bankrupt and that was the night that the Coliseum went bankrupt was brilliant because we kind of knew and I was 21 22 and we knew that the bailiffs were literally coming in a van why to take... why, why did it go bankrupt do you, know? uh, you, you have just, an idea? yeah so you must have um, seen a lot of venues go under over the years music and comedy what hundreds what, yeah. what's what's the common thing what okay there, so, well think? in 1991 um there was the Iraq war the first big Iraq war and a lot of the American bands just wouldn't fly and stop touring. So uh -huh. this is actually really fascinating into the history of British music. If you want to talk about the nineties and go into Britpop. Yes. So I 1991, do. nothing, all the Americans stopped touring. So all the infrastructure in Britain, all the crews, all the truck drivers, all the lighting companies, PA companies, all that were all on the verge of bankruptcy because very similar to the pandemic we've been through in the yeah, year where yeah. it just literally stopped overnight yeah. and all these massive tours with the Americans, just went out the window. So suddenly all these venues are looking for British bands, oh, which right. is how Britpop basically occurred. Was because, I didn't know. I had yeah, no so, idea. So, so previous to sort of 91, 92, um, virtually, like, so grunge yeah, was, was really Nirvana, massive. It was all yeah. American it was, bands. I remember was, as a kid <clears throat> listening to music, and I used to be annoying, I'm a bit younger than you, I remember uh, late 80s, early 90s, you thought music was American. It was R.E.M., it was mm. Nirvana, it was all of that. 
and then suddenly so they stopped flying because of the Iraq yeah war. so I think they were on a no fly order so the, oh, the okay. bands uh, if you think about it if you're MC Hammer which is a name that rings a bell because I at the time I knew a girl that worked in, for a catering company a touring catering company and she was supposed to do the MC Hammer tour which was like <laughs> four months around Europe and so really and then when you're freelance if you get a guarantee of four months work well, it's very well paid for the time you work. Yeah. And I remember, I remember um, she was devastated that she'd lost an MC Hammer tour. And it, <laughs> there is a point with hindsight, you go, how devastated can you be that MC Hammer didn't tour? But it was literally, that would have paid her rent for a year we can all identify with that yeah moment. exactly it's, as but, I said um, it's, it's very similar to what we've just been to I feel uh, the, uh, yeah it, it, so, I'll, I'll be honest while you're saying that all I was thinking was puns of what food MC Hammer would eat but I've got nothing carry on sorry you got anything what could he eat Hammer based food um can Aloni touch it? No, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't work, does it? <laughs> it was the attempt I enjoyed more than anything. <laughs> Can Aloni touch it? <laughs> um, so, so what happened yeah. was, yeah. So the music industry, the touring industry, basically stopped in '91. And if you want to go and back and have a look at the records, uh, the, the, as in statistic records, look at the bands that were charting. Yeah. It suddenly turned. So in about yeah. two two years, the whole thing went from being. So all the venues needed to fill their nights because all the American bands had stopped touring. So there's suddenly little bands who were breaking Wouldn't have through. got the gigs or suddenly yeah, getting the yeah. gigs. And also, right. you know, the music papers need to write, they need to fill 50 pages of writing a week. So they had to suddenly start writing about new bands. Um, so I remember seeing bands like um, Pulp and Oasis play. I, I saw Oasis play to less than 100 people in a pub in Leeds. What pub uh, was that? Do you remember? It was the Duchess, a really famous music venue called the Duchess of York, run by a a, a really inspirational guy called John Keenan, who is one of the forgotten here. John Keenan, here. Well, I know that name. John Keenan is a is a sort of Leeds based legend of music. I mean, he I know that name. Yeah, he started the Futurama so, festivals in the early eighties in Leeds, which were bands like U two played and, and all this. So he was very, very, very influential in punk, post punk, new wave. That I must have heard him a re, mention a real, in documentaries yeah, about punk. So you, if saw you've him, ever seen documentaries, you'll see his his yeah, his, that'd be well known, His chubby no. little hamster face pops up. So you saw yeah. the whole gig. What was you doing that that was you? just watching oasis i think i was flogging so, t-shirts or something for the band yeah i was just in the venue i was just so i used to drop in just all the time my mate darren who who i started the comedy with worked behind the bar there whilst he was becoming a, 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 a so you production just, assistant you just it just involved in just any gig you were kind yeah, of yeah yeah anything anything somehow, kicking about and it was very much that, yeah and if, if they need and even to this day that's still how it works if, if uh, you know a, a band people don't realize this it's very easy to get into music gigs for free if you know the right people so uh, to this day there'll be bands will turn up or you know tour manager will send a thing out going we need four people tonight to sell our merchandise it's yeah. 50 quid it's 50 quid cash and you get a free t-shirt and i've got friends to this day that still if they're kicking about i'd do it you know it's just go and see a band for free and and flog a t-shirt i used to love love flogging t-shirts i used to work with quite a few indie bands and i had a really great statistic i was so good at it because i do yeah. it like a market store seller because yeah. at the time, sort of that whole just before '95, that early Britpop was kind of art school, oh, leads, but very middle class. You know, look at Damon Albarn; he's from a very well educated family, yeah. and he sort of playing play, pretend he's a bit of a you know, and he's like he's really not. And there's a lot of that, you know, people drinking in the good mixer in Camden, which was yeah. like an old boy, still to this day a shell, but it was an old boys pub, and there was this weird thing with Britpop where it was very much. Um, art school 
men and you know men and women uh, but very sort of pretending to be working class so yeah. they're drinking sort of shitty pubs and it was like it was a badge of honor to drink the worst whatever was the cheapest cooking lager that the pub did that's what you drank you never really drank um anything else mm. and then suddenly everybody started drinking gin and tonic which I can't do gin. It just makes me literally instantly vomit. I'm, I've got an allergy to it. Yeah, when did that? Yeah, it's about the same happen? sort of time, right? I don't know. Oasis I don't... Were, that became the drink of the time. Supersonic didn't it? gin and tonic. Yeah, yeah. but but until then, Brand I mean, if you go, gone... <coughs> absolutely. If you go in a year earlier and go into a bar, go into a bar in Leeds and go, "Can I have a gin and tonic, please?" As a bloke, you'd have got twatted, <laughs> literally twatted. <laughs> yeah. The following year, you're going, "Can I have a gin and tonic, please?" You got you got the new album. It's like, I don't know what. <laughs> a fucking supersonic, mate. Album. Yeah, the, oh, the weird. Wall. There was a weird one like that as well. So, so like a lot of the cities in the north, uh, sort of ninety three, ninety four, uh, were, were just changed from being um, into grunge. You see yeah. the kids who were put wearing the plaid shirts, and then six months later walking yeah. around in like you know, oh yeah, having it. You're like, hold on a minute, that's not how you sound. That's not your voice. Yeah. And I remember something very similar happened in about 1988 uh, with a sort of second summer of love, which is when sort of house music and and sort of rave culture really took off, and and bands like the Happy Mondays and the Stone Roses broke through. And Leeds, particularly to that point, uh, as many sort of northern cities had been, were, were very sort of goth music led. So Leeds was known as Gotham City. It was where the Sisters of Mercy came from and the mission came from. Gotham um, City. Gotham City was... Never heard that, I like that. You never heard that. Like, yeah, yeah. Was, that was the nickname of Leeds. Yeah. So um, so Gotham City. So, so you'd see all these... Uh, and at the time, I was living right in the centre of all this. And you'd yeah. see all these kids walking down in the sort of everything, you know, head to toe in the black yeah. in the middle of the summer. And the following... Literally the following year, they're all in rave T-shirts and sort of smiley day glow. And it was like oh, a oh, huge right. cultural shift had happened where... A whole new thing had come in very, very quickly. Yeah, and the same thing. It's not a subtle move for a goth, is it? From no, black right, to it day was, glow. <laughs> exactly. And you'd it's be not seeing, a smooth transition. <laughs> and the thing is, you'd be sitting in the pubs and you'd be looking at these people and be going, "That's that's gothy Pete." <laughs> and he'd be off his nut. He's known as Goffy Pete. Now he's in a and bright and yellow T-shirt going, Ragey for, Rev. for that. It's boiling outside. <laughs> it was genuinely. It was genuinely that genuinely that one summer and then so again it, it sort of you know music pivoted 93 94 and went from um being sort of brit pop which was at the time i guess things like the wonder stuff who had done some stuff with they were sort of classed as brit pop in 91 92 and then and then suddenly you, you, your doors open in the sort of spring of of, of 94 you got oasis so you were what uh, around then? What what venues were you sort of? I wasn't with any of. I, we'd, well, I was kind of working at the TNC in Leeds, which is what the Coliseum became. So the Coliseum closed, right. and then about a year about a year later, the Town and Country Club organisation bought it, and I worked there um, in, in all sorts of jobs. I was work, anything from stage crew to to promoting to booking, uh, doing a bit of other. I just did a bit of freelance promoting just for myself, just picking up bands. Oh, um, okay. Uh, I was very lucky that I think my telephone. Very lucky that my telephone number at the time was back in the day of fax. Do you remember fax machines? Yeah, oh yeah. So my telephone number that had a fax machine on it was very similar to uh, 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 another venue's fax machine number. So I used to get there occasionally. Get there. I shouldn't be telling this, but it's such a long time ago. I'm sure I can't be sued. Yeah. So I'd be getting these emails from agents going. I was just wondering if you're interested in taking a gig by so and so. I'd be like, okay, that shouldn't have gone to me, but. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, so wow. I quite, so, I, so I booked quite a few gigs 
lot of work actually for a couple of years just because my telephone number was i think one digit off somebody else's telephone number and i get up in the morning go to bed and i'd, I'd like oh the fucking fax machine's been going all night hasn't it and i get up and there'd be reams of of yeah. offers from big agents going joe i've got some so-and-so wants to do some secret gigs do you want to do it it's like you're yeah, right okay yeah yeah. So yeah, I had a, a nice little career for a couple of years doing that. Not not signing your faxes, you're sending back, just not <laughs> yeah, your name exactly. at the bottom. Yeah. Yes. Keep well, it I mean, vague. I mean, I think the thing with an agent, even to this day with with comedy, and I guess the same with music at the time, was if you if you just go, yes, we'll have that, the agent's happy enough. They don't, they they don't, don't know, care. do they? No, exactly. exactly. What, what Can you think of a band that you got that you should not have got? That you? Yes, uh, I can. Who? I can. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. Really? I, I'm, okay. Well, I did, I did, legally, uh, you Utah Saints. I did, I did two gigs with the Utah Saints that shouldn't have happened because uh, I had a. <laughs> yeah, they. Um, I think. I don't, well, I don't know. It's the reputation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Utah's. Um, oh God, there's quite a few. Yeah, there was uh, maybe it's maybe maybe that. maybe one with Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> one with Radiohead. Poly. Yeah, maybe. Um, Jamiroquai. I had uh, I had Jamiroquai booked in 1992 yeah. for a grand for New Year's Eve, and it never came off. And that was before he was massive. Just literally, I think. What? I tell you what, I have, still have got in my CD collection. I'm very lucky that I've got a lot of um, pre-release promo CDs. From yeah. from the early nineties, so it's like they'd go, "Oh, we've got this band called Jamiroquai. Nobody's heard of him, so this is what his album sounds like." And they send you a- to try and like these days now as comedians, we'd send an email with a YouTube video, mm-hmm. say try and get a book. In those days, you, you send your demos, don't you? You send absolutely. So yeah. you'd have loads of them. I did, and I remember. So I remember having Jamiroquai for a grand, and that's one of the contracts I think we st- I still have somewhere. Uh, and that was before he went massive. Or before I think before he even had a single out. Um, I had the first. I had the so creep by Radiohead. I did some stuff with Radiohead, yeah. uh, which I may have may or not or shouldn't have done. Uh, but <laughs> so I had one of the first. So creep as a single was Radiohead's sort of supposed first single, but it wasn't. So creep was released, did nothing. Then they released uh, everyone can play guitar. Yeah, and then they re-released Creep, which went massive because it got I literally up an American radio station. just the other week. Uh, Steve Hall was on, and Steve Hall uh, lived in Oxford for ages, and he sent me. Uh, I could I could lend it you if you've not seen it. I'm sure you might have uh, a documentary called Anyone Can Play Guitar. Yeah, I got it, it somewhere. Yeah, 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 and it's about the the music scene in Oxford. It's brilliant. So yeah, so I know what you're on about from that. Creep did nothing. Then it was big in America, and then they re-released it. Yeah, so the in first England. the first version of that. I yeah. think they did 3,000 copies, and I had at least half a dozen of those. And they're now worth a couple of hundred, maybe 500 quid each. And I remember, this is gonna, this is how... You know when you just, you don't realise the importance of certain things at the time? Yeah, yeah. I remember being somewhere, I can't remember where I was, I was in a hotel somewhere, and I didn't have a mirror. And I got into the time in, in, in my mid... So this is sort of, I don't know, 90, this is 92. Um, I got into the habit of shaving in the bath... A wet shave in the bath. I don't know why I'd seen it in a film. Thought, okay, that's quite nice. <laughs> Your face is warm, and, right. and it, it yeah, was yeah. a nice shave. Didn't have a, didn't have a mirror, so I used the CD as yeah. a mirror, which knackered up all the print or the print of the uh, the print on the CD of, of Radiohead's first version of Creep that is now worth, I think, about five hundred quid. And I used it as a ra- shaving mirror. Realised I'd knackered it and threw it away. But I still had another five. I've still got a couple somewhere in the, in the CD. I've got uh, about 5,000 CDs, and I've got lots of these sort of uh, pre-tour, sorry, pre-album release CDs. Yeah. Uh, 
You talk about demo cassettes, the one that sticks to my mind. Pardon me, I've just belched. Sorry, sorry. That's oh, right. So would I. If I'd reali- so would I if I'd realised I'd use a creep original demo for a fucking uh, the first mirror. version of the first version of creep on CD, which they released on Parlophone as a sort of they had a two single deal um, <laughs> before they even were signed for an album. Uh, and you um, use that to shave with. Yeah, so I, I, I was well in with a band called Kingmaker at the time in the early 90s. Uh, and they were brilliant at picking support bands. Was, this was at a time when I think bands had a, a say in who was their support band. So they used to go down to the Bull and Gate in Kentish Town all the time. Uh, a guy called Bo Collier was the sound engineer at the Bull and Gate who ended up becoming Kingmaker's uh, sound engineer. And now I believe is a, one of the go-to guys for musicals, sound engineering. You know, when you go and see Blood Brothers or whatever, yeah. he, he's quite often, the, he's, that's his career now. Um, and he was brilliant at spotting bands. So he spotted like Suede uh, and Radiohead, uh, Elastica, all these bands that sort of became support bands to Kingmaker. He'd spotted playing the Bull and Gate. With, uh, and so... Um, so we knew about Radiohead really, really early on. I think only about, you know, maybe three months, four months, five months, something after they changed the name to Radiohead. Uh, so, so yeah, we got got a load of these. But one of the ones that sticks in my mind is I got sent a, a cassette to the Coliseum. So this is 90, 91, maybe 92, by a band from Manchester called Rain. Yep. Yep. Jesus. You've got a Rain. No, yep. I haven't got it. Oh, no. No, no, don't, don't, don't yeah. say it. I haven't got it. I don't know where it is. Yeah, but I had, I had, I had. So that, that's that's you what became Oasis. You had a cassette. Yeah, handwritten, rain. handwritten note going. Oh, like we're we're rain from Manchester. If you ever get any support slots, love to get on. I bet the spelling was horrendous. It smelled. I don't know why. <laughs> I bet bonehead spelling is horrendous. I, um, uh, yeah, but I remember that. So you used to get, and that was the other thing I, you used to get. It was like so you get these really nice little handwritten notes from the bands yeah. going, "Hi, we're we are whoever." You know, we're just we're just trying to get a couple of gigs. Here's our cassette we've made in our studio. And it wasn't even Whoever, like... Whoever, was that a Who cover band? Right. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I've, I've only got one of those stories. I've said that before, because I used to work in the Bedford pub in Ballam. Oh, right. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a music venue. You've probably heard of it. Um, and that they used to get demos and bands coming in all the time. And Paolo Natini gave my wife a demo. She was working... She was a bar manager behind right. the bar. And we've got a shitload of demos down there. Not as many as you, but that's the one that she doesn't know where it is. That's annoying. But a rain cassette, yeah, a handwritten letter. That'd be well, worth it was a like fortune I, now. And it wasn't even um, so. It wasn't even a demo. It was like I think that re- it was recording in like in their rehearsal studio, and it was all handwritten. <sighs> so it was handwritten on the cassette. The sleeve was handwritten. So the cassette inlay with whatever the four tracks were they put on. And I think this is this is way before Noel got involved. I think so. It was like shit quite frankly um yeah, yeah I, I remember clearly that that's one of the ones that sticks out but we were getting i mean as a music venue you'd be getting 50 a week i mean do you, mental know, I was, sort of do you know what i was going to ask is that mm-hmm. i i always um with booking bands it's a little bit i suppose it's a bit easier i don't know how reviewers review albums because there's albums i listen to that i don't like the first time and second time all right third time it's the best album i've ever heard how can you do they listen to an album more than once reviewers and what know. what I was going to ask as a promoter mm. then how how can you how many songs in can you usually tell do you how many songs of an album would you a demo would you listen to before booking someone or would you oh, just have a kind God. of an ear for it after a while we go oh yeah 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 i think i think you you listen to the sound i think first of all you, there's a 
and I guess it is the same in, in everything really, but but particularly with comedy as well. I mean, I remember you, know, you talked earlier about you know how with with comedy you, you send a, a, a link to your YouTube channel or whatever. Yeah. Here's a thing. I remember we've I'd have a couple recently for for like new act competitions, and one of them was incredible, where somebody had sent it going. Here's a video of me uh, at a recent gig. Da, 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 da. And and so the gig started, it was clearly filmed on an, like an iPhone or whatever at the back of the room, and there's about yeah. 15 people at the gig. So it was always going to be hard because you haven't got enough laughter to make it look like you're better than you are, right? And about 10 minutes, well, not even 10 minutes, I lied, 10 minutes, two minutes into this 10-minute clip, the phone falls onto, onto its side. <laughs> so for the following eight minutes of this record that somebody sent to me trying to get a gig or trying to get onto a competition, the, the film's on its side. And you go redo it or just send another one if you've got pride in what you do if you're trying to sell yourself imagine you're selling yourself as a, as a plumber yeah and you go here's some footage of me working as a plumber and within two minutes of the footage you've fucked up some you have a sink up or a, a boiler's yeah. broken or something you wouldn't send it so why are we any different so with demo tapes for bands you i think you kind of firstly it is can all the band play together i know that sounds really daft but you, you know, you'd be staggered as to how many times bands, um, you've got four people in a band and it's four people playing individually the same song, but you just, there's nothing there. You can hear it's not gelled. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see it live as well. I mean, I've, I've been, uh, when I go to sort of music festivals or, you know, whatever, I don't really get So you like can it. hear that, that you can tell sometimes that you can send, they're all four individual good musicians playing well, but they're just not playing as a just, band. They're not playing as a band. And it could be that. Uh-huh they're not actually that good as musicians or it could be that they're too they just haven't spent a long enough time working with each other or they hate each other or they hate each other yeah yeah well you know the thing we'll go back to creep you know that in creep was because johnny greenwood hated the song do you know about that no I didn't the, know the crunching it. guitar in creep was because he was actually trying to fuck up the live recording it's creep is recorded as live it's absolutely very rare that it's not dubbed and dropped in. It, that's the recording of the band playing it totally live. Jesus, and he, his, we <laughs> deliberately tried to distort it so it fucked up the song. Yeah. Wow, that's a, mm. that's a good one. That's good, isn't it? Never heard that. That's a good one. That's what yeah. you're on the podcast for, Toby. <laughs> right um, there. If anyone's, so, going, if anyone's thinking, why have you got this bloke on who's not a comedian? Right there, people. <laughs> right there. Yeah, that that's good. Uh, so you can usually, that, I'd find that hard to hear. Well, yeah. I think you're looking for a sound. So you're looking, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, back in the day, you were looking for what you thought was going to be. Because again, you're trying to work, you're trying to predict somebody's future. So what you, you're getting demos from bands who are looking for support slots. And, yeah. uh, you know, quite often, even to this day, you get a band uh on on a tour or, or even we'll we'll have a tour support who will pay to be on that tour so this is the thing that you need to sort of how the money works is a, a really? record company will be yeah buy-ons yeah 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 tour buy-ons yeah absolutely yeah so you get a support band are paying 500 quid if you're playing a 1500 2000 seater that support band's record company will be paying between 500 and a thousand pounds roughly per gig to be on stage to be on that stage wow so they yeah. record companies they're they're sort of uh they're uh putting their like like gambling they're putting their money in yeah, as an absolutely. investment to yeah. get that band seen yeah. and then hopefully that pays off in the long run yeah 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 oh, totally. i didn't know that yeah it's so like, well, it's kind of like doing doing edinburgh festival you're paying to yeah. be seen and get better and do those gigs i think that happened in music yeah 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 so and sometimes from now on people if you're going to see a band the support band there's a good chance they're they're actually paying to do that gig. Oh, it's very rare that they're not. 
Very rare. Really? I mean, yeah, 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 I yeah. Didn't really know rare. that. Yeah, I mean, I mean. So I think can we all? Can we all have the respect to go and watch the support band? You can go to fucking Weatherspoons any night. I hate those people. Oh, I'm not watching the support band. I'll go. I'll go to the pub and I'll come in. What time's the main band on? Can't stand those people. That that band's yeah. paying to be there. Well, also you've paid. They're paying to be been... ignored. Yeah. Um, and you can spot some brilliant. I mean, I've. I mean, I remember seeing. Oh fuck! I remember seeing. Um, uh, cast supporting Elvis Costello on tour. Oh, I'm fucking a weird obsessed one. with Cast. But I got I think, into Cast too. That really That's, this is before they had any any record out whatsoever. I think I think that they got they've got lumped into a sort of nineties nostalgic band, and they're much better than that. Did loads of they're gigs with amazing Cast. Band. Loads of gigs with Cast. Three things I can remember really easily with Cast that, that stick in my mind. One of them is that um, there'd be quite often people asking for autographs at the gig. And yeah. they get their tour manager to sign. Uh, so this is the way I go. But they get the tour manager to sign their names, and that'd be passed out to people because the band were too fucked to do it. Um, <laughs> the drummer used to often, quite often, enjoy having a bit of weed dropped into the smoke machine next to him, just as a, a rocker resin. And that would. Uh, really? okay, we're going back to such a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it was quite. Is a, that that's, a dumb that, thing? Yeah, well, the top of a smoke machine gets bit really of resin hot. Resin in the yeah, smoke can, machine. Yeah, so basically, the smoke machine gets really, really hot on the top. And if you've got one next to a drum kit, more often than not, there's a little bit of resin. That's oh. just placed on the top, just burning away. Yeah, oh, that's, that's really good. common. I've never, it's like a that's just really stick. common. <laughs> yeah, Lovely. totally, totally. And also, the, my favourite thing of all with well, the security, was, the security is searching people in the crowd. Who's got fucking pot? Who's got weed? Yeah, yeah. The drummer it. needs some for the drum machine. <laughs> wow, the I didn't know that. That's yeah, great. Yeah, top of the smoke machine gets really, really hot. It's a perfect place to put a bit of resin that just bubbles away nicely. Yeah. He seems like a dude, um, uh, John Power. Very, very much so. Yeah, got a lot of time for him. Really, really he's, good. I, th- I think he's a really underrated songwriter. They're a great band. Amazing. They're a really, really great. Yeah, they were one of those bands that sort of... Yeah, Noel Gallagher really... loves them. Yeah, they supported them. them. They were at uh, Nebworth. They played Nebworth, supporting Oasis. Um, they were on that. John, Yeah, Noel Gallagher. He, they supported Oasis, didn't they? They were very on much... On tour up, as well. Yeah, they did. They are, I remember doing them at... Um, what little gigs for- did you do them at? Yeah, sorry, you're going to say then. I think. Well, uh, one of the things I remember was was I'd been down to, to hit, so Cast had played a, a, the cockpit in Leeds, which was a music venue, and I'd gone down to see them um, just to go because we'd, we'd done a sort of uh, met them before for gigs, having a beer or something, and then I said, oh, there was a band called the Stairs from Liverpool who are incredible. If you want to get into a band that none of your friends have heard of, oh, band called The Stairs. The Stairs? The Stairs. Uh, Weed Bus was their big, sort of, wasn't even a hit, was their, oh man, they had an album called Mexican R&B that was recorded in mono on an old mixing desk in the early 90s when everybody was just going digital and, and making yeah. it sound as, and they, they deliberately went out of their way to find a, a mono mixing desk. Uh, oh right. yeah, man! If you speak to anybody, anybody in music, uh, particularly from the north, you, you mentioned the band called the Stairs, Edgar okay. Summertime, the Stairs, phenomenal they're, band. They're one of them. Are they. I was going to ask you that. So that how many bands? Because this is a thing with. Because you'd have seen both comedy and music. You'd have seen a lot of. You'll know more than a lot of people of it. It's just sometimes you can't tell. Sometimes you can. Who's gonna? Who's gonna make it? who's going to have that bit of luck and it is all about right time right place and and some some people you can see straight away like everyone said when they saw russell howard they went fuck well that's going to happen um that kind of thing with music with bands you must have seen them is it 
is there a band you remember seeing that you went they're going to be massive and they did become massive and like the stairs or is it stairs or the stairs the, the stairs the, the stairs. stairs yeah is there another band you can remember seeing in a in a venue in leeds a little gig thinking they're they're gonna be amazing and it just didn't happen for them oh didn't happen for them yeah one that did one that didn't one oh, of each god i uh, yeah i remember seeing pulp uh play a number of times uh i think pulp would definitely yeah didn't was, happen didn't happen for them at all <laughs> no. um th- and that was seeing pulp very early doors and that yeah people forget they were going for a long time before they they were going from the early 80s so i saw them in 93 i saw them the year before uh the summer before they did glastonbury was it glastonbury where they came in as a very late replacement for something yeah. wasn't it stone roses because john was it the roses because broke Squire his arm broke his arm didn't he motorbike yeah, yeah. so uh, that was a real fairy tale so that propelled them into becoming huge and they were yeah. uh, the year previous they were playing pubs they were doing pub tours and it but i remember seeing them having seen them a couple of times i think they must have played the duchess maybe 10 times and then i saw them on the last time and it was one of those where i remember being in the music in, in the duchess which was just a lovely beautiful held about 250 people proper every town that had a sort of toilet venue which is just yeah. iconic to music and is just yes like a museum to music yeah i remember love being laser got later got a lot because it's a, a big lot, student yeah yeah, yeah isn't yeah. it so there's a lot of music venues that have to be quite cheap but good yeah very students. much so yeah and, and and obviously have a you know try to be open seven nights a week yeah so i remember seeing pulp and i remember the one thing that really stood in my mind was there's a, a still is a journalist for the guardian called dave simpson who's a very very well respected um reviewer like yeah and at the time he was just starting with the guardian uh and had his like a really cool fanzine and i remember him being there uh i remember one of the utah saints being there at the time of massive it was just one of those where you're suddenly looking around and everybody you looked at was somebody in the music industry and it was like okay something's happening here year later they're massive and the oasis oasis whiteout gig so I think Whiteout, that was where... Is that a venue? No, Whiteout were a support band. So oh, basically, band, yes. Yeah, so there's a band called Whiteout. Oasis's first tour was a yeah. double package bill with uh, 18-wheeler, Whiteout, and Oasis. Yeah. And Oasis were third on the bill originally. And then it, it came back round in the spring of 84, uh, 94, so uh, April of 94. Um, Oasis a second on the bill to Whiteout, but it was obvious that everybody was coming to see Oasis. Yeah. And so so they spun the bill and Oasis closed and White House were, uh, Whiteout were, were second. Um, but again, that was another one where, you know, you're just looking around a, a venue and you go, all right, there's, you know, probably 300 people in this 250 capacity venue of which yeah. I, I recognised 100 of them because it's wow, people that... that worked in music or people, you know, the, we've all got mates that really know their music. I mean, yeah. I'm, I worked in music. I didn't really know music. I'll be honest with you. I did enough to get by and i knew when i got a phone call from simon moran who ran sjm who now manages the stone roses and peter k and everything when i get a phone call from him going i've got this band i'd put him on because i knew that he knew more than i did yeah and i think we all have we all know people throughout our lives that just know more about like i don't know that much about comedy andrew i'm going to be honest with you i know i've had a 20-year career so i know plenty but there are people there are there are friends i've got who have nothing to do with the industry whatsoever who know far more about underground comedy and, and comedians than I do because it's their more of an obsession to them, whereas it's, yeah. it's it's my life, it's my job, really. And it was the same in music. So you get that situation where you walk into a venue and you just, you know, particularly a venue that you've been in hundreds, hundreds of times before and seen hundreds and hundreds of bands, um, and you just got a feeling of 
all right, something's happening here. Yeah, yeah. And there's a buzz. You can feel it. There's a buzz. I remember doing a gig with Kingmaker at the Duchess, and there was used to be a um, a Chinese restaurant opposite, opposite the venue on the other side of the road, that if you had one of the big sort of seating eight people around a table, you could see the front door of the venue, like, yeah. like across through the window of the restaurant. And I remember having a meal, having before the gig with them and watching the queue start. And, you know, you, make, you start as arrive and it's like, okay, yeah, there's, it's going to be busy tonight. And then by the time you get into your main course, your appetite's gone because suddenly you get the butterflies and you're suddenly going, shit, this is going to be a gig. <laughs> Radiohead with a support band that night. And, uh, I've, I, yeah, and, and everybody oh, go, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were the support act. And nobody, nobody knew Radiohead. So, so this is 92, so Kingmaker were, like, buzzing around. And um, I remember that with them as the buzz of, fuck, this is really really something and the last time i really did that with music was was again back with um i did uh, sort of eight seven or eight gigs with radiohead on the okay computer tour before it sort of went massive oh, and we started what, with around leeds you did gigs no 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 around round yeah yeah sort of around lee we did should did you we have do? been there again <laughs> should have been there yeah <laughs> oh i'll tell you that that's a that's a brilliant story uh should have been there so there used to be a guy in leeds called flat nose john Right, and, and FNJ, Flatnose John, because he had just obviously a flat nose. Legend, right? Now, Flatnose John managed to get himself on the first tour by the Charlatans as a sound engineer for the support band. And about right. two weeks in, and sadly, Flatnose John's dead, so I could tell you this story now without being yeah. sued. He got about two weeks into the tour, and the tour manager of the support band went up to the PA company and go, Listen, I'm not being funny, mate, but the engineer you've given us for these is, is shit. And this PA guy went, we haven't given you an engineer. We were actually going to come and talk to you about the fact the engineer you've supplied is shit. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy had blagged himself onto a tour, had told the PA company and the headline band that he was with the support band and their engineer, and had told the support band that to the PA company that he was their engineer. Right. right. Nobody was employing him. He, he was being bussed, fed, drank, hoteled, uh -huh. everything. <laughs> Wasn't even on the tour. Book, booked on a gig through you, that was the wrong number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, flat, flat Nose John had a shit ear as well. Flat, yeah, yeah. Oh, was Death Jeff? Uh, I know, mate, I know. There's a whole world I could tell you about <laughs> of nicknames. That's what we don't have in comedy is great nicknames. Great um, nicknames. Uh, the music, everybody's got, like, my nickname was Tickle. Um, and I did, uh, so we did these dates with Radiohead in 1997, just sort of did some fan club dates, so pre-big tour dates. Um, I did the Astoria in London, uh, Bridlington Spa, somewhere, I, I'm trying to think of the venues, Hereford, Blackpool Winter Gardens, you know where they do yeah. the Strictly, that's a beautiful room for a gig. Yeah, Stone Roses Stone did it as well, SJM used to use it a lot, yeah. they, they, they really liked putting these, there was about 12 gigs around the country that did a lot of... I did the Manic Street Preachers there. Quite a few of these sort of warm-up before arena gig. And I remember the one with... So you talk about bands blowing up, right? Yeah. Um, so th before OK Computer, uh, Radiohead was sort of a moderately sized, very, very respected band. And that tour went from... The dates we did had two Arctics on them, uh, the two Arctic tour. Uh, so that gives you a size of how Arctic much equipment. Arctic lorries, not Arctic monkeys. lorries of equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah not, not Arctic monkeys. Yeah, yeah. Um, started with two, and it was every single day. The production office was like, right, we're playing bigger venues, and it was you could just see that every other day they were getting the ticket sales in for the arena dates. They yeah. were having more dates added to them, and then America blew up, 
and it was just to be in that i was only i was there for two weeks and i did eight nine dates with them or something like that on these in this tour before i went off to go and do u2's um uh pop mart tour and um <laughs> drop that in did you yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> lovely well i left radiohead to go and do you too yeah and then natalie and brulia and then i quit um uh, <laughs> wow um, you went out of the top radiohead <laughs> you too in Bruglia. in Bruglia, yes um but that was really exciting to go uh, we need an extra truck which is like okay suddenly this is going massive and it, the yeah. buzz and it was great to come in every single because you know working on a big on big gigs like that it's an 18 hour day it's it's a long physical hard work you, you grab breaks when you can if you can get 15 minutes downtime you do and yeah. just to watch that and watch the excitement in the band i got on really well with um with colin green with the bass player i liked him he was really nice and the drummer um, i like um uh i've watched and Ed, Ed's love as well yeah, I watched the documentary. Uh, I've said this before. I've, I was never really into Radiohead much because my brother was so into them. You know, mm. when someone's into someone so much, mm. it puts you off a bit. And he'd always go, "Yeah, you know, they're 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 trying to push the boundaries." Oasis is three chords. I'd be like, oh, "Fuck off!" Um, so uh, I, I went in. I got into them through the, um, Ed O'Brien and Phil Selway playing with Neil Finn on like a supergroup gig. Oh, right. Being in- yeah, yeah. Being interviewed. And I was like, oh, they're right, dudes. They're mm. such nice blokes. And the mm. drummer, you would never guess he was a drummer in a massive band. If he, you told me he was the accountant for the band, I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. I think, I think it kind of was for a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> no, it was, it was a, they, yeah, I, they were, they were very, um, I, I liked, I had a lot of, I didn't know them at all well. Um, but, you know, I, I, I found Ed, Colin, uh, so the drummer, the bass player, and, and Ed O'Brien, the extra guitarist, really nice. I found yeah. Tom and Johnny a bit too intense. Just I had a sort of a slight run-in with Tom at, uh, backstage a little bit. But I yeah. think it's because cause he sort of maybe remembered me from five years previously playing the toilet circuit when it was like a little bit too cool for school. I'm not sure. I don't know. But, uh, but I, I, I used to spend, you know, hours chatting away at the Colin because at the time I was, I was um, starting a law degree. So I was like decided to move away from all that because it wasn't really you know whatever i wanted to do so um i remember sitting having a chat with um uh on the on the promenade at bridlington behind bridlington spa having a chat with one yeah. of their lighting crew whose nickname was pickle uh, yeah, and i was course. tickle and then colin and we're just sitting having a cup of coffee and just chatting away and, and um, pickle and tickle we're talking about flat noses gone we're talking about flat nose <laughs> yeah yeah but that's what we don't have in comedy and yeah. it is great nicknames some of the nicknames man Oh man, inch high, Mister Magoo. I can so many people. <laughs> inch high, he went inch on high, the inch sound high, desk. Inch high, uh, there's, so uh, Beach. Do you know Beach? There's a there's a, a sound engineer called Beach who was Radiohead's no. uh, monitor engineer called Beach because he was about eight foot tall and his nickname was Beach. <laughs> right. I don't know. But... I, don't, I don't get that one. Yeah, I like yeah. it. I like a it. tree. It was just the size of a tree. I oh, think. Beach Twitter. All right, lovely. Everybody, that's, that's everybody has nicknames. Nice on tenuous tours. one. So, uh, so I, then you went on the U two tour. What were I did? I, no, I did. I did three dates. Couple of dates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was that was incredible doing stadiums. So we did. So I did Roundhay Park and Leeds. What were you doing? What, what? Crew. Just I was well. I was Rigging. went in as yeah. We went in as a sort of stagehand. But yeah. but, but again, it's like I knew a guy called Tim Lamb who was one of their stage managers. So day one of a, of a week's work. Um, the steels are in the, what we call the steels. Yeah. So how how stadium tours work is you have three sets of steel. So you have one is up with the gig being built on it. You yeah. have one that's being dismantled somewhere else and one that's being built somewhere else. So you have three steels crews, which are basically scaffolders, right? Yeah, scaffolders who want to go and see the world, and it's a great job. If you if you've got if you've got any kind of climbing <laughs> skill, 
or you, 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 and you want to work as a scaffolder, go and work on a stage. Brilliant, brilliant job. Yeah, that is brilliant job. Because you follow the sunlight. So you start your world tour. If you look at where a world tour starts, it's something like U2 or Coldplay or you know, anybody of that, that sort of size. Big stadium level, yeah. But they start where the sun is always full. So it's always, you're always working with the, with the, the longest weather day. Wow! So you start this is out stuff people don't know. Yeah, so you, 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 you're following you at, the nice weather around yes, the world. Yes, totally. So it's like being a cricket player. You, <laughs> I, I met people. I met people who were like, I've just done eighteen months with you too, and they'd never seen a rainy day. They'd never seen oh. rain. For, for, but they came from Birmingham, and yeah. it's like, why am I doing this? It's like, look at it. Just look at the weather. And yeah. So they'd start out. You start out in Mexico, Brazil. And then you sort of follow the, the good weather, go through America, Fuck, into I mean, Europe in the summers, and you're just following the good weather. So you end up with this weird sort of insular bubble. So I was very lucky. Yeah. So, I did, so I did these dates, and I knew a couple of people that worked on the crew, on, on U2's crew, uh, and a guy called Tim Lamb and somebody else. And it was like, hey, how are you? What are you doing here? I'm like, I'm just pushing flight cases. Oh, fuck that. Come and do, you know, come and be an assistant stage manager or come and you know, be a little bit higher up the rankings, which yeah. used to piss off, I think, a few of the people that were the, the local crew. But it was great for me because I'd be like, I wouldn't be having to push that box. So I remember working on the um, on the big, so on Popmart, there was a big lemon thing that went up and down. And, and I worked on that. It's <laughs> just one of those Jeez. things. So you've got, you've literally gone from reading the NME yeah. at your desk yeah. as a 20-year-old yeah. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. on stadium tours with you two. Yeah. And at the same time as all that, my so we go back to my um there's a band at my school who were really good and it was obvious that they were going to get somewhere and and they became sort of merged into the lead singer songwriter became a band called space hog who were massive in america um and and so it was all it was all weird but normal i know that sounds really strange but yeah things that were happening to me in my life were just like this is this this happens to everybody right it's, it's like, kind of no. it is uh in it's like a little bit like that in stand-up. You'll have noticed that once you do one gig, we get to people say, "How did you get started in stand-up?" You just say, "We just got to start. You just got to do one gig, mm-hmm. and once you've done that gig, you can tell somebody else, oh, I've done that gig.' And then, and then you know, you meet somebody at a gig who runs another gig, and then that's how it works. The same mm. with music, but mm. in your case, on a global, worldwide level. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> scaffold. Yeah. I like that. They are. They are basically scaffolders. No, they are. Yeah. They, they were all, all I mean, on, on U2. I think they were all sort of mostly German and Dutch. Scaffolders that want to see the world. That's a great but, but, but they're all, crew. But what, so what they do is they do, they do like a world tour or they do a certain number of dates and then they go and climb, go rock climbing around the world. They'd, they'd, they'd earn, there was one point when some of the scaffolders from Denmark, I think, or, 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 the, or the Netherlands, were living in camper vans on the tour because they were literally going, right, we're going to go and we've got a day off today. What are you doing? We're going to go and climb Ben Nevis or there's this rock face that nobody can climb. They were obsessed by it and they would spend a fortune on on harnesses. Oh, that's funny. And all this. They- and the thing is in the morning, so so how it would work is in the morning at sort of eight o'clock in the morning for the call, when yeah. you start work on a day, they'd, they'd literally go up into the skies and put all the, all the motors in into the hoists so that everyone could be winched up. They'd spend the whole day up there. You'd forget they're there. <laughs> so you'd be, you'd be walking around at ground level with your hard hat on and tootling around and, you know, moving a flight case or, you know, go and move a lamp or, you know, in my case, building a lemon. And you'd suddenly hear voices 150 feet in the air and you go, All right, oh, yeah. Tickle! Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sven. How, how are you? <laughs> yeah. Sandwich? Just and they'd come down for lunch. Your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they, but I, but the, one of the things I take from the stadium stuff was... was uh, and this is something that's stayed with me for, for all my life, really, in terms of the attitude of how that sort of gig is. 
is you too had 80 sorry, 85 or 90 arctics on those tours of, of equipment uh, and that's that's not the steals that's just the gigs that you see all the screens the pa all that look catering everything is 85 trucks their own equipment so their own amps little amps and guitars and stuff travel around in a oh god i shouldn't say this travel around where they can in a very small little seven and a half ton truck that was yeah. being driven by the same guy that had been driving them for since 1982 and it was like oh god yeah we're playing to a hundred thousand people every night on these massive stages with this massive ridiculous amount of equipment and the band are still four mates traveling around in a yeah. little van together and a little seven and a half ton truck with all their gear in the back of it that's that, the the, the that's nucleus weird. of what the gig they've, is they've kept it they've it's yeah. gone massive but in yeah. some way that in their heads they've still kept it small totally to the, to the outsiders it looks like they're like massive massive egos but to them they're still kind of four mates in a van yeah 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 but a very nice van a very nice van but that was it nice and they'd, they'd fly in and out of the gig and stuff but it was genuinely yeah and, and i remember just going and it was the shittest little white van it was like yeah. a knackered up old white van that they'd had for years and it was like and I was like, that's really clever, isn't it? Because if you were to be somebody that wants to burgle this site, yeah. which, you know, good luck with the amount of security they're at and people yeah. armed, that would be the one the thing, that'd be the one van you wouldn't touch. Proper that'd be the one you'd be old. thinking, no, yeah, yeah, knack no, it up. No, three tools tires. Are kept, no tools are kept <laughs> yeah, in this van yeah. overnight, but yeah. Edge's guitar is in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's probably a billion pounds of the guitars in the back of it. Yeah, yeah I mean, all the shiny trucks with all the bits and pieces in it we'd be the ones yeah but, but it was just that whole thing about the actual show the nucleus of that show yeah. is four blokes oh, in a very small little van that was the same with that they were doing it 30 years previously and and it's just everything else is add-on and, and i i just remember that really clearly and i think it's the same with stand-up you know you look at stand-up now and you go like yeah. we know so many people that have like you talk about Rod or, or, or Russell Howard or, or whatever, or John Richardson, and it's just like people that we knew from Dawson on my house or whatever. Yeah. And it's still just them on stage. It's just everything else has got bigger, but well, actually... That's, you know. that's the great thing about doing... Um, when they, you do a new material night with them, or you do a gig and they're trying stuff, like with Russell or uh, John Richardson or Rod. I remember doing a gig when I was quite new with Lee Mack, and he was become massive, and he was doing new stuff. And he just immediately was on the same level as you because mm. you get reduced back to, fuck, I don't know if this is going to work. Because that's all you've got suddenly. You've just got your ideas and that's it. And you're there's all on the same level. There's a number of times I did gigs. With, I hope he doesn't mind me telling him this. It's uh, saying this. It's, it's such a long time. It's at least 10 years ago now, so it's probably fine. But but Rod, you know Rod Gilbert very well. Rod, yeah. the first time I ever met him, um, we'd, he'd, he'd done a support gig at the Hi-Fi, so I think 2003 and stayed with me and within within just instantly was a mate it was just one of those people where you go oh you were we're very similar age parents and teaching all this sort of stuff very similar people and he, he stayed at my house that night i'd never met him before and and i just did a favor to his agent to let him stay and i don't usually do that i i, I need to know somebody before they can stay and and um and that's certainly the deal now with my wife that if anybody stays with us we have to know them because it's yeah you know it's only fair to her um and rod stayed and and instantly we were mates and just instantly it was like i remember coming in sitting down and doing his day's accounts with a curry and a pint and just on the lounge and we're just doing it just chatting away all night and then so so come come forward so it's about 10 years ago we we're doing some warm-ups and by this time he was he was massive you know he'd become big big tours big big rooms was doing the arenas in wales um 
had he was had his own TV shows and all this sort of stuff. And I remember doing a gig in York to a hundred people, a warm up, a tiny little warm up. I think we did two nights in York, two nights in Leeds. Yeah. And Sean, his wife, was up with him. Yeah. And about five minutes before he was supposed to go on stage, and there's no support. It's just him doing an hour, an hour and a half of of brand new what he'd written that afternoon sort of stuff. Right. He wanted to pull the gig. And it was like, I, I'm, I can't do this. And I was like, okay, you can. He went, no, no, I can't. I can't. Just, just go. He said, do you mind? Would you go, just go out and apologise? Give away the money back. I'll sort them some free tickets when we do the, the tour. I just can't do this. And it was like, all right, let's just have, let's just have five minutes. And this is where the experience of years of working in music and with musicians just kicks in where you go, all right, yeah. let's just have, let's just have a five minute calm down. Let's not do anything. Let's just, and within five minutes, Sean had got him to the point where he was okay to go and perform. And he went out and, you know, three hours later comes back in. Yep. And it was, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, Did and three hours of absolute brilliance, of, I imagine. Where he, and it was, there was stuff that made this, uh, was this the Rod, um, the Minnes Pie tour or was this the Nicholas Lindhurst tour? It was one of the tours where he'd, he'd looked, he'd been staying with me uh, yeah. the previous time, right? And he'd looked at my washing machine. I can't That's remember why. Nicholas Lindhurst I'd tour. And, stuff and he, about the washing machine. Yeah, and the fucker wrote... 15 minutes that day, having just, I think my washing machine played a little song, or something happened, I can't remember what it was. And it was like, how did you do that? How have you... All the this stuff is like you not- can't open it till it's ready and yep. all the, and pre-wash. Yeah, yep. he wrote that, that in my house. All the right, notes were on my washing that. machine. And, and he literally went out that night and did it. So... So there's that, and then and then about two nights later, we're doing a gig at the Oak in in, in Leeds again, a little warm up, and and he went, and I went, right, are you ready? Are you good? And he went, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, I'm good now. Sean had gone home, so he was on his own with me. <laughs> yeah, he can be trusted now. She, can. yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll go on stage now. Um, yeah. it fucked off down the street, ran off, literally ran to get rid of some energy because he was so uh-huh. so so scared, so nervous, yeah. and ran off. And I was like, what the fuck? Oh God, what are you doing? And I was like. You don't get this with bands. You do not get this with bands. Well, that's and, and came back and, and again, fucking destroyed the gig. But that's really- what I was going to ask you to uh, just to. Uh, you won't believe that. Um, I mean, we, we've we've done ages and we've barely scratched the surface. But just to uh, sum up, uh, last question. I was going to ask you that at some point. From working for years with bands and years with comedians, not many people have done both to the level you have. What's the main differences and similarities? Because I was, fa- I think I asked you that last time I saw you. Working with bands, you'd think surely they're more hard work. But then I think of some of the comedians I know and think, fuck, that must, they must be a pain um, in the ass. What's the? Uh, well, I think there's very few bands that genuinely all get on with each other. Truthfully, whatever they say publicly, there are very few bands with four or five people in it that actually genuinely are close to each other and there's always fractions and you band politics is a huge thing uh particularly when you're coming into something that you're not aware of so yeah. you might be doing a gig with a band or a couple of gigs with a band where you know for the previous week the drummer and the guitarist haven't spoken to each other and i mean <laughs> properly it's hard when this sounds stupid but imagine going on a family holiday in a hotel yeah and not speak to your, your kid or your wife for a week it's, it's it's genuinely hard to do bands are fucking brilliant at it they just, just, and, you, and you, so quite often you walk into a situation, and particularly with a band you'd worked with a few times before, you'd be like, hey, how are you? Oh, yeah, really good. How's so and so? Don't talk to him. He's a shit. And you're like, oh, okay. I don't know. Something's right. happened here. And it could be bad, you know, years previous, something's been 
brought up. Isn't that funny to think that bands that... Div- I saw an amazing fight once, whole uni- backstage at Hull University between Blur and, King- and two members of Kingmaker that were over um, a girl. Really? Over a girl from years previous. Yeah. Like, one of those things where you just go, oh, there's a couple of mates having a bit of a josh, and suddenly you're going, all right, there's, there's broken glass in this dressing room. This is really... This is something that's really kicked off. Is this and before that the gig or after? That was after the gig, yeah. Jeez. Right. Yeah. Um, but and it's it funny to think when they get divorced from their wife, it's like, I can I can live with someone for a year on tour that I hate, but I can't live with you. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, and, and I think I'd say the majority of marriages end far better than band breakups. I remember, yeah. I mean, I remember stuff with the Wonder Stuff when they, they split up. Uh, and the member of the Wonder Stuff I really, really liked was sadly died in a motorbike crash a long time ago. Was the drummer Martin Jilks, who was lovely, just a really lovely bloke. I got to know him really well. Um, really liked him. I thought, thought he was a lovely guy. And he and he and Miles Hunt just didn't like each other. And there was always, whenever they would do gigs, there was, I mean, fractious to say the least. Yeah, um, right, yeah. Uh, and you get that most bands. So I'd say the big difference between bands and comedians is generally with a comedian, it's just one person. Which you've got you, to deal with just that person's, yeah, uh, I, uh, just one person's uh, inner doubts and. But, but it's a lot easier dealing with one person because I know, like, so I know with one, a, yeah. if, I, if I work with Rod, I know that he does get very nervous, and and it, and I know how to work with that and, and yeah. handle that. I know that when you work with, with Russell, Russell Howard is, you know, really delightful company off stage, very just charming and but also will you, you go out for dinner he'll take food off your plate that's just him you just learn <laughs> do you know what i mean but you're only dealing with one person yeah. so it's like you can concentrate on that one person's um performance and psyche so much easier. last last week john richardson was on you've had him stay a few times you oh can, god you can, you can deal with john <laughs> i love john i was actually speaking to him last week yeah yeah yeah. gonna try to i've not not when are we because we went to um well, we socially weren't we once with john yeah uh and it was that was lovely that was what i tell you what that's what you get with comedians you don't get with bands is that sort of meet up where there's 10 of you and you and i remember that time we all met up and it was like i just it was just stood there thinking everybody here i really like mm. those eight or ten people that were from comedy that were together those people are all really decent, decent human beings who I really like, and I don't think you'd get that if you had eight people from bands. I think there'd always be one of them. You'd be going, that person is such a shit. Oh, well, <laughs> that's a good place to end. Uh, oh, one last thing though. Uh, now, now that hopefully now venues and stuff are opening, as somebody who knows probably more than anyone in Leeds, for anyone listening around that area who's who's like, oh, I should go to a gig. Just Lincoln. go anything. Don't you just mentioned go to... the Duchess. Uh, uh, the Duchess. There's... No, the Duchess sadly closed down twenty years ago. That's now a Hugo oh, Boss. Yeah, oh, wow. uh, the, the Wardrobe does great bands. The yeah. Brudenell in Leeds is a legendary venue, old working men's club that does just incredible bands there. Uh, brilliant venue. I just go and see anything. I don't care who. It, don't. I'm not going to plug my own stuff because I just think go and see anything. Go to the cinema. Go and eat out. Go and have drinks in a pub. Go to the theatre. Go to the things that you've said over the last year. Oh bloody hell! I wish I could do that. Just go because the industry's fucked. Let's yeah. not be. Let's not beat around the bush here. There's still this worry that we're not able to open yet, and and there's still the worry that people aren't going to come back in in the numbers that they did. Yeah. And there are livelihoods at risk here. I know people. I know sound engineers. This is breaking my heart. I know sound engineers who are incredible who work with really good people who in the last year have had to go to food banks. And I, I've, the, people that you just respect as being 
brilliant at their job. Yeah. Brilliant at their job have been using food banks. And, and I'm just like, we ju- just please, I beg you, go go to see stuff. Doesn't matter what it is. I don't care. Go, Just go. Just go out. Just yeah. Once we're allowed to go out, once you feel comfortable, once you feel safe, get your vaccines. Don't be dicks. Once you've, But once you feel you want to do it, go and do it. And I don't care what it is. Ballet. Just go and go to stuff. Pay to go and see live I, stuff. I slightly care what it is. How about... 27th October, Leeds, Andrew Bird, comedian. Go oh, see the that. comedian. Oh, shit. I thought I booked the, I thought I booked the singer-songrongwriter. You've booked me. You've booked me, you dick. It was me. Uh, <laughs> thanks very much, Toby. I been knew, a pleasure. I knew, I mean, I knew getting someone on who's not a comedian could be a risk, but not you. Not you. You. I knew, I knew this would be great. Um, and I feel, again, we've just... M- Barely scratch the service. I mean, we've not even covered in Bruglia. You've said, um, hold on a minute. In Bruglia, I'll tell you a story about Natalie in Bruglia. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, nearly, I nearly split my brother up and his wife with her. Because, because... He had a crush. <laughs> no, well, yeah, he really fancied her. I was doing some gigs with her. We all So y- you get the sort of dressing room signs, you know, that you pin up and it's like dressing room, Natalie and Brulia. And I got her yeah. to sign it to go, and my brother's knitting his pooch. And it's like, to pooch, all my love, thanks for last night, Natalie, as a joke, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. My brother and his wife were just starting to go out with each other. And it's in his bedroom wall. And she's like, what's this? And oh, it's, yeah. it's a signed sign from... from where, where were you last night with Natalie? And I went, what the fuck are you on about? My brother works with her. That was, that was it. It was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't, ha- you don't cheat on someone and then put a signed put a thanks sign. from them on your wall. <laughs> no, no. Rule exactly. number one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, she never had a complaint with the Ned's Atomic Dustbins one, did she? So, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was fine. <laughs> and he slept with all of them. I don't know, he did. He actually. My brother was a, my brother shared a house at university with one of ex members of Ned's Atomic Dustbins. Oh. <laughs> and the whole weird thing about everything just goes around in circles. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure. A podcast from producer Paul Dakota UK.